Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the Presence Pioneers podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. Look, we have put out a lot of content uh, in the month of February, but I actually wanted to share a bonus episode with you today. This is going to be a teaching on fasting that was for sale on my website, but I'm going to release it now on the podcast for you guys to listen to for free. It's an extended teaching. It's about 40, 45 minutes. But look, there is the global Jesus fast that's happening starting March 1st, a 40-day fast. Lou Engel and Mike Bickle and many others around the world are inviting the church to take 40 days to fast. And so I want to invite you into that. There's a link in the show notes to the Jesus Fast where you can sign up and join the 40-day fast and get email updates and track. There's tens of thousands all over the world who are signing up to do this. And you can join in with them and do that. And this teaching hopefully will provide some resources for you to help you engage in fasting. I'm going to include some links in the show notes to some books and other resources so that you have all that you need to engage in this 40-day Jesus fast, but also in an ongoing lifestyle of fasting. So I hope this bonus episode is a blessing to you. Look, before I share the content, if you're new to the podcast, this is the Presence Pioneers podcast. We exist to equip Presence Center communities to worship and pray night and day. So this is aimed at worshipers, intercessors, lovers of Jesus who are part of houses of prayer, burn furnaces, praying groups and churches. This is for you to help you, encourage you, and strengthen you. And if this is a blessing to you, why don't you share it, like it, subscribe, uh, leave a review or comment or anything that you can do that will help get the word out so that other people can join in and be equipped and ultimately that the prayer movement will be strengthened and that Jesus will be glorified. Check out our website at presencepioneers.org for all the subscription links as well as all of our previous episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Enjoy this bonus episode on the heart of fasting. All right, talking about fasting. Y'all doing all right? All right. Um, So I'm talking about fasting, which means not eating (laughs) for Jesus. So I was, uh, my four-year-old daughter Ariel gave me a great story for tonight, this afternoon. And she came to me like an hour before dinner, and she was like, Daddy, I want a snack. I said, no, you got to wait until dinner, you know, to ruin your dinner if you have a snack right now. And she's like, no. She runs out of the room, and I hear her run into the other room, and the shepherd's in there. And she goes, Mommy, Daddy wants me to die. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I want you to die just because I won't give you a snack, you know. Sometimes I feel like that's the way we are, <laughs> and that I am, you know, and I don't get my way, like, ah. But, um, you know, we like our food. I like food. You guys like food? <laughs> food is good. Food is a gift from the Lord, but so is fasting. So I want to talk about that. How many of you guys want to hunger more for God? I think we kind of responded to that. Good. How many of you guys want more faith, boldness to, to do ministry? Good. How many of you guys want to hear the voice of God more clearly? <laughs> How many of you guys want assignments? You want to know what God wants for you from moment to moment, season to season? 
course we do. How many of you guys want to see the gospel go to the lost? You want to see the ends of the earth, see Jesus lifted up, declared? Of course we do. And I, I propose that fasting is a key in all of those things, in all of those things. And so my big idea tonight is that a lifestyle of fasting builds hunger for God and faith for the mission. That a lifestyle of fasting builds hunger for God and faith for the mission. Now, I've, I've been on a journey in fasting over some years, and uh, I've quit a lot of fast. <laughs> I've started fasting and cheated and ate, ate food when I promised God I would not a lot. <laughs> but I've also experienced depths in my relationship with God that I've never experienced um, when fasting became a part of my lifestyle. Um, Shepard just mentioned to me recently about this is this is kind of random fasting story, but um, doesn't really have a have a real big point. But it's just kind of funny. Is uh, there was a, I think it was the the year right, we Shepard and I were dated before we got married. I did a, a week long fast where I just did juice and water. That's all I did, and I, I had this vegetable juice that I like to drink during this fast. And she she always talks about how my breath never stinks, but it did that one week because I was just drinking basically a glorified V8 juice all week. And she said that my breath just smelled like tomato juice all week. Um, that's part of the joy of fasting. So anyway, I just thought about that and I thought I would share. So uh, a lifestyle of fasting for God. A lifestyle of fasting for God. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where you guys are in your, if fasting is something that you do or if it's for some of you, if, if this is going to be a little bit new, uh, growing up for me, I, I never really heard any teaching on fasting in the church. It was uh, until, rec- until later years when I began to listen to teachings online and watch videos and stuff, go to conferences that I began to hear people even talk about fasting. So this, I know that for some people this is new, but I'm encouraged because it seems like a, it's, it's becoming more popular in some ways. I'm hearing about churches calling fasts and things like that, teaching on it, and so I'm encouraged by that. Um, so I want to I want to kind of lay out what it means to have a lifestyle of fasting. Number one, the primary focus of fasting is God. The primary focus of fasting is God. Many times, if people do think of fasting, they think of it as like, "Oh no, something's going bad. I should pray and fast now for that thing." Um, and, and the goal of the fast is breakthrough in that specific thing or an answer to prayer. But fasting is first and foremost an invitation to go deeper in God. It's to know Him more intimately and to be more deeply satisfied with Him. Physical hunger leads to spiritual hunger. Somehow, in fasting, physical hunger births spiritual hunger. And don't fully understand that. But what I do know is that when we begin to desire, in the place of fasting, that the physical and the spiritual are connected. What happens in fasting is we begin to feel again. <laughs> we begin to ache in our hearts, in our souls, in our spirits. And we, we begin to desire we can be more satisfied than we ever could be before. I mean, think about it. If you guys go out and eat a uh, you know, seven-course meal and you're stuffed, and I said, hey, man, you want a cheeseburger? You would be like, well, of course not. You know, I'm full. That's this. But if you've been fasting a couple days, and I'm using this as an example, man, if you're fasting a couple days and someone offers you a carrot, you're like, oh, man, a carrot. And you eat that carrot, and it, the carrot's got flavor 
that you never knew it had before. <laughs> when you take a bite of that carrot, it's like, wow, carrots. Why did I, why don't I eat more carrots, you know? Cause you haven't been eating for a couple of days and, and it's so good. But if you're full, then it's, and it's the same way in the spirit. Something happens when we fast and it's like spiritually, it's like we begin to experience that renewed sensitivity to the presence of God. It confronts our bloated souls, our dull hearts. In our bored lives, it allows us to be satisfied. We cannot be filled and experience the satisfaction of being filled and satisfied in God when we're full of other things. And fasting humbles us. It awakens this desire in our hearts. It makes us feel and yearn and realize our need. And it humbles us before the Lord. So we have limited capacity. And as we empty ourselves, we can be filled with God and experience true satisfaction. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis here. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Okay, so it's not that our desire is too strong, it's like, oh, I don't need to, I don't want to crave this, I don't want to crave that because I want to crave God. It's not that our desire is too small, it's actually too weak. And God wants to awaken desire and spiritual hunger in our hearts. And fasting is one of the ways that we can do that. Fasting is the lifestyle of restraint. Okay, we're always saying, you've got to, you know, read the Bible more, pray more, do more, help the poor more. Fasting is actually the opposite, saying do less. Okay, so that's kind of nice because we don't have to add something to our lives, we, we subtract things. Fasting is restraint. It's saying no to some things. It's saying no to the good so that we can have the best. It like creates this vacuum in our souls. It's like when we say, when we create this space in our souls, it's like we realize, oh man, I, I yearn, I hunger. There's this need in me. And God, you alone can satisfy that. Does that make sense? So in fasting, we're restraining. And a lifestyle of fasting goes beyond just restraining from food, but it begins to enter into this, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And, and when we begin to enter into a lifestyle of fasting, we begin to detox our lives from all these other things that fill up our time and our space and our stomachs with things that satisfy us so that Jesus can fill those things. Number four, fasting is a way to minister to the Lord. Luke 2.36, it said, Anna served God with fasting and prayer day and night. Anna served God with fasting. So fasting is a way that we can minister, first of all, to the Lord. It's a way that we worship Him. It's a way that we serve Him and minister to Him along with worship and prayer. And Anna, if you're not familiar with Anna, Anna is a prophetic picture Anna preceded the first coming of Jesus. She fasted and prayed day and night for decades in the temple and ministered to the Lord preceding the first coming of Jesus. And likewise, there's going to be a church before the second coming of Jesus that's going to fast and pray day and night and birth the second coming of Jesus. Amen. So the bride will pray and fast day and night. Proceeding the second coming of Jesus. Fasting is for God. It's a way we minister to Him. It's a way we get filled with Him. It's all about Him. It's not first and foremost for breakthrough or for ministry or anything like that. It's first and foremost because we long for Jesus. 
And we hunger for Him and we want to hunger more for Him. Now I want to make clear that ministering to God, including fasting, does not earn anything before God. Okay, it's not like God is holding back on us, but when we fast, we've all of a sudden we've earned something more. Okay, Jesus has paid the price. We have access to the kingdom by his grace and his grace alone through faith. But fasting changes us. Okay, and it allows us, it increases our capacity to receive from God what Jesus has already paid for. Does that make sense? It increases our capacity to receive what Jesus has already paid for so that the manifestation of the kingdom in our life is greater and we can experience deeper intimacy with him and more faithful ministry to others. So don't ever don't think as I'm talking about fasting that I'm saying we're, God's wanting us to earn something from him. He's not. He's given us this gift of fasting in order to allow us to receive in a greater measure what he's already died to give us. Okay. Number five, fasting is an expression of the bride's longing for the bridegroom. Matthew 9 says this, 14 and 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So you guys know that in Scripture, Jesus is called the bridegroom and his church is called the bride. And, he, and Jesus is introducing that paradigm, that bridal paradigm, that, that understanding of us being the bride. And he's saying he's come the first time. He proposes to us. He initiates a covenant with us. He goes away, which is where we are right now. And this is like the uh, this is like the betrothal. This is like the engagement period. And he's coming back again for his bride to consummate what he began. And in this period between his first and second coming, he says that we will fast. He says his people will fast. That will happen between his first coming and his second coming. And it's an expression of our desire for Jesus. It's a longing for him, for more of him. For his presence now, for his kingdom now, but ultimately for his return again so that we can be with him forever without distraction, without the warfare, without the fall, without our flesh, but to be with him forever in intimate relationship with him, with Jesus, our bridegroom. Fasting is, first of all, an, an expression of our desire for Jesus. It's about him. And, and, and this is so much better than fasting religiously to try to earn something from God. Okay? But fasting not just if, not just to get something out of it, but fasting to get Jesus. And really not just to get Jesus, but to get ourselves out of the way so that we can get, get what, what he already wants to give to us. All right. Number six, fasting is normal Christianity. This is another scripture here. Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching on fasting. He says, Moreover, when you fast, everyone say, when you fast. In Matthew 6, Jesus is laying out Christianity 101. Okay? He, if you look at the context in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Okay? Jesus says, when you do good deeds, don't be like the hypocrites. And then he gets to verse 16 and he says, when you fast, do, be, do not be like the hypocrites. Okay? How many of you guys believe that prayer and doing good deeds is just normal Christianity, right? Every Christian should, should pray and do good things, right? 
And Jesus throws right in the mix of that fasting. He says, when you fast, his expectation is that his people are going to fast. The issue is not if, it's a matter of when. And he's saying, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. And he's confronting their heart in this passage. He assumes his followers will fast. And he's shifting their paradigm to say, don't do it for men. Don't do it to seem super spiritual. Don't do it so that everyone sees you, but do it unto the Father. He says, the hypocrites disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. He says, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret rewards you openly. We fast to God first and foremost. Our reward in fasting is from the Father. It's not from men, but it's from Him. And he's saying, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't go around whining that you're hungry when you fast. <laughs> but, but, but just, you know, don't bring attention to yourself. Do it unto the Lord. Do it as a ministry unto him. All right. So Jesus says fasting is just normal. He expects that, that that's going to happen. And history indicates that the church continued the practice that devout Jews. Jews used to fast two days a week. And from what we know from history, Christians continued to fast two days a week. Normal Christianity in the early church, the first couple hundred years, Christians fasted two days a week. Pray every day, fast a couple days a week. That's what, you know, that's what they did. Luke eighteen twelve talks about the Pharisees fasting two days a week. But from what we know, the Christians continue to do that. And, uh, to, and to say that it's normal Christianity in the Western church would be a long shot. You know, fasting is still not normal Christianity, but... Uh, it's supposed to be. And I, I've, I've had to say this about a lot of our topics this summer. If you've been here, you know, the crowd has shifted a lot from week to week um, on Tuesday nights. But um, fasting is just normal Christianity. B, fasting is usually only considered in times of crisis. Now, fasting in times of crisis is good. If you look at Joel 2, the appropriate response to catastrophe and crisis is to fast and pray. So if you're going through something, fasting and prayer is a good 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 thing to do so i'm not saying don't do that as a response um, but i'm saying that it should also be a lifestyle i'm saying you shouldn't wait until a crisis to fast the expectation biblically is that a normal thing that christians do is fast just like they pray and do good deeds aw tozer says that the fall of man has created a perpetual crisis okay so just like jesus said when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. We're in perpetual crisis. There's warfare. Okay? The kingdom of God suffers violence. And it's increasing in the earth. And one of, one of the things God calls us to do and invites us to do in the midst of it is to fast and pray. Not just in crisis, but as a lifestyle until Jesus returns. Okay? Fasting is normal Christianity. A lifestyle of fasting is normal Christianity. Now, Jesus modeled this for us. Number seven, a lot of people know about Jesus's 40 day fast, right? Before he went into ministry, he fasted for 40 days. But I want you to go, if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 17. I don't have the whole passage or if you look it up on your phone or something. Matthew 17. I want you guys to glance at this. Because there's some amazing insight here about fasting in Matthew 17. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. This is like a flyby on fasting, okay? I'm throwing out a lot of different points here. 
I'm just mainly, right now I'm touching on fasting as a lifestyle. Man, I'm losing my place. Matthew 17, starting at verse 14, says, When he had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic, epileptic excuse me, and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Everyone say that very hour. That's important. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So Jesus could cast the demon out of this boy, but the disciples could not. And Jesus said the reason for that is that some only come out by prayer and fasting. Now, the demon came out that very hour. So Jesus didn't say, oh no, here's a crisis. We've got a demonized boy. Let's call a, let's call a fast and let's pray. And we'll all get together and gather around him in, next week and we'll cast this demon out. He came out that very hour. And if he says only come out by prayer and fasting and it came out that very hour, the only reasonable explanation is that Jesus has been praying and fasting. You follow me? So Jesus is modeling a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And we know his disciples are not because the passage we read earlier in Matthew 9 when when the disciples of John came and said, well, why aren't your disciples fasting? Because we are. So we know that Jesus' disciples were not fasting. But Jesus apparently was fasting, and he was able to cast the demon out. He was living a life of fasting and prayer. And he was able to do that. He was probably doing the two days a week. He was Jewish. He was probably doing the two days a week fasting. Now, not only does this reveal to us that Jesus was living a lifestyle of fasting, but it gives us amazing insight into faith because Jesus actually gives two reasons that they couldn't cast it out here. He says, number one, it was because of your unbelief. Number two, he says, oh, it only comes out by prayer and fasting. So which one is it? Well, it's both. So the revelation is that it was not the prayer and fasting that enabled Jesus to cast the demon out, but it was his faith, and that his faith came from a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. So as we live a life of prayer and fasting before the Lord, it gives us faith so that in the moment, whenever God wants to use us, we have the faith to walk in the power of and the ministry that he's called us to walk in. Does that make sense? All right. So Jesus is saying, you didn't have faith because you're not praying and fasting. You're not, live, you're not doing that day to day. So when a need comes up and a ministry opportunity comes up, you don't have the faith to enter into it because you're, you're waiting for the moment to start to, to get on board. You know what I'm saying? So he's calling us into a life of uh, a culture of prayer and fasting that it's normal Christianity. Okay. Does that make sense? A lifestyle of fasting builds hunger for God and faith for mission. So fasting is huge when it comes to building our faith, building our faith, living a life of dependence upon God. Uh, when we fast, it, we, it humbles us. We go, God, we need you. You know, it really brings us to the end of ourselves, really reveals weaknesses 
in our own hearts. Uh, one thing you'll notice as you as you fast uh, is that you'll you know, things like your attitude will flare up or, you know, things will start to come out of you and you go, oh, no, I'm fasting and I'm not acting very spiritual at all. But what the Lord does is he humbles us and he reveals, he brings these things to the surface through fasting and allows us to deal with those things and repent of those things. And it strengthens our faith. Okay. Acts 13. Fasting in missional community. Now, the boiler room here is supposed to be a missional community. The Lord spoke to me in 2013. Actually, spoke to me at the end of 2012. And, and highlighted this passage of Acts 13 to me um, for the boiler room. And Sean Foyt came that same year, gave me a prophetic word, clarifying that part of the boiler room's calling is to be in Antioch. is to be like the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. To be a missional community, to be a hub. In the first few verses of Acts chapter 13, we can read those and see what that hub was like at Antioch. It says, now in that church at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who is also called Niger, Lucius, etc., etc. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So you've got this community here in the book of Acts chapter 13, and they're ministering to the Lord and fasting. That's what God's called the boiler room to be, is a community that's ministering to the Lord and fasting. And this is the first time missionaries are sent out in the book of Acts to the, to the nations. And it was in this context of prayer and fasting. And so for a community like ours that has a heart for missions and sending and an apostolic community, Prayer and and fasting as part of that. I mean, we're praying, but to throw fasting in the mix of there is vital. It's biblical. We got we've got to get this piece. And I feel like, um, in some ways, the boiler room has been a little weak on this end. But God, I, I just I just want Him to highlight this to us again, and hopefully even tonight we can just commit in our hearts to do this in a greater way to engage as a community in fasting. This fasting and prayer created this context where God broke in and spoke. To them and released assignments. I asked you guys earlier, who wants to, you know, hear the voice of God more clearly, you know, and everybody was like, yeah, of course I want to hear God more clearly. I want to have his assignment, you know, know what he wants for me. Well, it's in the context of a praying and fasting community that God can, God can uh, create an, an environment where he can encounter us and send us out in his power and, his, and we can hear his voice. Now, I want to clarify again. God doesn't speak louder because we're fasting. I don't, I don't believe. I believe what happens is it's like it turns our receiver up a little bit. We're able to tune in better because fasting increases our faith, humbles us, and it tunes our spirit, to, and, and it affects us. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that fasting somehow earns like God's not going to talk to us until we fast or something like that. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that it helps us to hear what he's saying to us. You see the difference? That's important that we're not earning, but it's by his grace and, and we're we're dying to ourselves in fasting. We're humbling ourselves in fasting so that we can encounter him more and more. All right. You guys seeing that now? Uh, the other thing I want to the, the last little revelation I want to bring here is um, that fasting. Number two is voluntary suffering that catalyzes apostolic expansion. 
Now, that's a mouthful, and I understand that. But I, I couldn't figure out a better way to say this. That fasting is voluntary suffering that catalyzes apostolic expansion. Now, how many of you guys have noted that when you, whether if you've been on a missions trip or if you've heard other people talk about it, that in other countries where there's poverty, where there's persecution, that it seems like the church is doing better than it is in countries like America where there's, at least for now, religious freedom. You guys know what I'm talking about? A lot of times Americans go to other countries to do missions work and they get more ministered to than they actually minister, you know. You find the same thing even in America when you begin to minister to the homeless or the poor. A lot of times you, you think you're going to take Jesus to them. You, a lot of times you realize they understand God even more than you already do in their poverty. And uh, many of the places like China and India where there's persecution against Christianity, the church is exploding. In places like America, the church, from what we can tell, is decreasing. And so, you, you know, I've, I've wrestled with this, and it seems like also... There's a lot more supernatural stuff. You know, you hear about people getting raised from the dead and and crazy stuff going on in other countries in Africa and different places. And you go, why isn't that happening here in America? And you have to wonder, well, is it possible that in this nation we can experience the same thing they're experiencing there? You know, why are we not doing that in our affluence where we have everything we need, where we, you know, Christianity is, is more or less easy and, uh, you know, we, we don't really, we're not poor. We have anything we want here in America. Why is it that the church seems lukewarm and kind of stifled out, whereas in these places where it's heavy, it seems to be growing? Anyone ever thought, questioned that? I've, just me. Okay. Well, now you know. So now you can think about it. And I'll give you the answer to the question that I just gave you, too. Um, and, I, and I've thought about that, and I've, and I've sought the Lord on it. I feel like he, he gave me some revelation on it. To understand it, you have to understand in the book of Acts, um, Jesus, in Acts 1-8, called the church and in the Great Commission to go to the ends of the earth. He said, my spirit will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay? So when Jesus left, he poured out his spirit upon the apostles, and he said, go to the ends of the earth. But the thing is, if you read the book of Acts, they didn't do that at first, okay? They mostly hung out in Jerusalem, okay? <laughs> they didn't really take it much beyond that. But, G- but God began to use suffering to bring the gospel beyond Jerusalem and to fulfill that great commission and that calling to take the gospel forward. And I see two major, what I would call, apost- I call it apostolic expansion. In other words, where there's a church somewhere and they take the church beyond the borders of where the church is. There's, an, there's a clear advancement of the kingdom of God in some way. That's what I mean by apostolic expansion. And there's really two instances of that in the book of Acts. The first one is in Acts chapter 8. You guys know the story of Stephen. He gets stoned, right? They're all in Jerusalem. But then there's this opposition. Uh, Saul and, and the Pharisees, they stone Stephen and the, the church is getting persecuted in Jerusalem, and they scatter, okay? And in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, As they scattered, they preached the gospel where they went. So this was the first apostolic expansion, was there was suffering, there was persecution against the church, and the result of that persecution was that the gospel went beyond Jerusalem and went into the region, Judea and Samaria. You guys following me? Okay? So the church wouldn't do it, so God's, God... 
God let some pressure come, come on them, and then it began, to, it began to take off. The other example of this expansion is in Acts 13, this passage we just looked at, where they've gone to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but they haven't gone to the ends of the earth yet. And so what they're doing is they're fasting, they're ministering to the Lord, and the Lord breaks in and sends Paul and Barnabas to the ends of the earth and begins to complete that call that Jesus has. And so I see it fasting as voluntary suffering, okay? So when we enter into voluntary suffering, we can enter into what those who experience involuntary suffering, whether it's persecution or poverty, uh, experience. And so I see these two instances of apostolic expansion. Number one is involuntary suffering of persecution. And the second is the voluntary suffering of fasting. So that's what I mean when I say that fasting is voluntary suffering. And so I believe, this is, this is what I thought the Lord showed me, is that by entering into fasting and a fasted lifestyle, a church, even like a church in America, can, can enter into all that the church in these persecuted nations is entering into. But I don't believe we can do it without fasting. I really don't. I believe that, that we either are going to have the pressure come upon us or we put the pressure on ourselves. I believe it can either come from the outside on us or it can come from the inside out. And fasting allows, us, allows that pressure to come from the inside out and it propels us in, into the mission that God has. It gives us the faith to move forward uh, even when we have anything else we need, even when we have tons of money, and we can do whatever we want in America pretty much, you know. I mean, compared to the rest of the world, you know, we, we have everything, you know. We are rich. We are, we are filthy rich, you know. And Christianity, things are easy and comfortable and convenient. And the rest of the world, it's hard. But I believe through fasting we say, okay, things are, things are easy, they're comfortable, they're convenient, but I'm going to make myself uncomfortable I'm going to not eat. I'm going to say no to media and entertainment and different things, whatever it may be in my life that's distracting me, that's filling me up, that's dulling my spirituality. And I'm going to cut these things out and I'm going to live a life of fasting so that my spirit can be burning, so that I can be on fire, so I can be hungry, so that I can, so I can be a part of a community that's moving forward even in the midst of a lukewarm church in America. Does that make sense? Does that revelation make sense? So we can, I, I just, I believe we can either, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, <laughs> but be not afraid, I've overcome the world. We will have trouble, okay? The, like I said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, the violent take it by force. There's a, there's a warfare, there's a battle that we're in, and it's going to continue to be a battle until Jesus returns on some level. He didn't promise to take us out of it, but he's going to take us through it. Okay, he's going to be there with us in the midst of whatever we go through. And he's given us the gift of fasting to stay fiery, to stay hungry, to stay burning, even in the midst of affluence, even in the midst of lukewarmness. We can foster hunger and faith, humility and power to see that apostolic expansion, to see the kingdom of God increase, even in an environment that's not hostile to Christianity. And that's what God's calling the boiler room too, and I and I really believe it's the whole church in America to enter into uh, in a greater way. And there's I think there's an increase in that that I'm happy to see in people calling the church to fast. And so 
If, and I asked at the beginning again, if we want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, and you guys raise your hand. You say, yeah, we want to see gospel go to the ends of the earth. I believe fasting is one of the ways, one of the keys to see that happen. I believe Acts 13, 1 through 3 makes that clear, that it's in the com- context of a community, prayer, fasting, the supernatural, the word of God, all flowing together, and those kinds of things happening, that, that's going to allow the kingdom of God to explode and expand out of that. Does that make sense? Hopefully. All right. Woo. All right. Practical suggestions. I know I'm kind of like apostolic expansion, like big picture, like we're going to take over the earth with the gospel kind of thing. But um, I want to do practical because, you know, that, that can be helpful if you're like, well, so what do I do, Matthew? All right. If, you're, if it's new or if you're trying to learn about fasting, start small. Skip one meal a week, okay? And then after a couple of weeks, skip two meals a week, okay? And then after a while, fast for a day. Maybe even get up to two days if you're crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Some people are like, oh, man, am I going to die if I don't eat for a day? But I promise you won't die. You can go about 40 days without eating. You, can, you can't go. as you, you need air. You need water. You know, you, there's a lot of other things you need a lot more than you need food. All right, um, so number one, just start small. Just do something. Skip a meal and read your Bible instead, which is number two. Feast on God's Word. If, if you just don't eat, it's not fasting. It's just not eating, and that's not fun. <laughs> so don't just not eat and torture yourself for no reason. Make it spiritual, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, read the Bible, pray, you know. I had a little graphic uh, that I put up, put up on Facebook that had a little plate with the Bible sitting on it. So I got you guys some forks. Here, take one and pass it around. And uh, take one, pass it around. Keep it, stick it in your pocket, put it in your Bible, whatever. It'll be random and you're going to go, you're going to see this plastic fork and you're going to go, oh yeah, Matthew said to fast. (laughs) That was like, just, just feast on the word of God. So when you fast, spend time in the Bible. If you're going to say no to food, say yes to Jesus, you know. Fill up on, fill up on him. Um, practical suggestion number three is find a partner. You know, Jesus said don't go around and, and tell everyone you're fasting and make a big deal out of it. But I've found that when you're fasting, it can really help if you just find a buddy that just you can say, Hey, man, you know, I'm going to be fasting. Can you pray for me? You know, or, you know. Say, hey, I, I want to fast on Mondays. Can you just send me a text and ask me, remind me, help me, you know. Maybe you can even find someone to do it together with, and, uh, and that could be huge. So, uh, Number four, a couple of cautions because I don't want to get in trouble telling people not to eat. Um, drink lots of water. Get plenty of rest if you fast. Um, if you're fasting more than just a few meals, um, you're going to get a headache and discomfort unless you're eating really healthy already. And uh, that's just because most of us eat a lot of, have a lot of sugar and a lot of fried, you know, fried foods, that kind of stuff. Um, when your body starts detoxing from that and fasting, you get bad headaches. It takes a couple of days for your body to flush some of that stuff out, and uh, and that's just normal. Uh, I will say, if you if you want to, if you ever try an extended fast, after a couple of days, you hit a nice stride about day three or four, 
where you're where you're like, oh wow, and and you kind of get the headaches go away, and you haven't eaten for a couple of days, and you're kind of like, wow. I remember our first time, one of the first times I did a a seven day fast, and uh, and I got to about day six or something, and I was like, and it was kind of kind of easy at that point. And and I was like, I'm just going to fast forever. <laughs> I was like, Jesus is just going to supernaturally sustain me. <laughs> I'm never going to have to eat again. And I won't have to buy food, you know. It'll save save me money. Uh, you know, obviously that didn't work. But <laughs> but you do hit a nice stride. But if you're just doing a couple of days or even a day sometimes, it's normal to get headaches. And uh, some discomfort. You get tired, that kind of thing. It's irritable. So that's why you got to read the Bible instead of eating. So um, before engaging in an extended fast, consult a doctor, your pastor, some more teaching. I'm, this is a real brief overview, so don't go off and do a 40-day fast of not eating just because of this one teaching if you haven't read anything else about it or um, that kind of thing. So uh, pregnant women should not fast. The Bible never talks about children fasting. Um, and then those who... Who struggle with eating disorders? It's generally discouraged that they would they would fast as well because that can be a temptation to enter back into that. So, um, so just do that carefully, or maybe fast media, or you know, you know, something like that instead of uh, instead of fasting food. So, yeah. Um, so my challenge is fast a day a week until Jesus comes back. So that's my that's practical. So what do I do? I, I think every Christian should, should shoot for that. Fast a day a week until Jesus comes back. Make it a lifestyle, not just a, a special thing you do, but just put it in your schedule, put it on your calendar, put it in your phone, make it a habit. You know, you'll have some awkward moments. People are going to offer you Krispy Kreme donuts the first day you try it. <laughs> it's inevitable. It's always Krispy Kreme donuts, man, on the fast when you when you try to start fasting. But people are going to offer you food. You're going to have to say no. And they're going to say why. And you're going to oh, I'm fasting. And, you know, but that's just part of it. So it's not bad to tell someone you're fasting, by the way. Jesus didn't say that. His point was not that if you tell someone you're fasting, it doesn't count in Matthew 6. He was just saying, don't do it to try to draw attention to yourself. Do it as unto the Lord, you know. So if you've got to tell people, that's, that's okay. Um, that's normal. So, but I believe, I just, if, I just believe if, if the church, if the boiler room would enter into fasting, I believe it would just be like fire on this community. I believe if the church began to fast, it would, uh, the, all these things, the faith, the hunger for God, the revelation, the sending of missionaries, clarity on hearing the voice of God, I believe all those things would just go through the roof if we just threw in some fasting into the mix. And it's, like I said, it's not doing more, it's doing less. So, again, lifestyle fasting builds hunger for God and faith for the mission. Um, so, Frank, would you just come play for just a second, and I'll pray. But I just want you guys to just take a minute, and um, and I'll just pray. But I just want you to just kind of seek the Lord, and maybe even just kind of make a decision in your own heart, like how you want to respond to this. Um, most of y'all have your phones on you. You could just put a reminder in your phone. Put it on your calendar. Seriously. If, if you need a partner, number three, you know, you just, just text a friend and say, Hey, I'm listening to this guy at the boiler room talk about fasting. And, you know, you can blame it on me. Say, I'm talking about this guy in the boiler room said to text you. I, w- I want to try to start fasting on Mondays. You know, try to help me remember. I'll talk to you about it later or something. You know, feel free to do that in these next few moments here while, while we pray. And... Uh, Let's just see see how the Lord would want us to respond to this. So.